of God's Word. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are in, we're in chapter, who knows what chapter we're in? Oh yes, that makes me happy. Chapter 6, a fairly well-known verse. A fairly well-known verse that we're in today. Okay. So verse 8. Rather, verse 7. Starting in verse 7 of chapter 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord. For this Bible, for this word, Jesus, it says, you are the word. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And we want you this morning, Jesus. We want to know who you are. We want to, we want this word to do, have its way on our heart. We don't want to leave this service the same, Lord. Forbid it, Lord, that I was up all night preparing this sermon and I leave unchanged or anyone here leaves unchanged. Lord, complete the work that you have started in us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Where is the couple from Kenya? The visitors from Kenya, are they in the room? Can you come up with, with the baby? Is the baby there? Can you come up? Oh, oh, I see. They, they went over to the nursery. Hmm. <laughs> I'd like you to meet this, um, meet this couple, but tell you what, we'll have a... A blessed interruption when they come back. So Galatians. There's a verse that sums up the book of Galatians. I think it's Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. And, and it says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then in Galatians 5.13 it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. The message of Galatians is you're free. You are free. You are free. Freedom or free from what? Well, in this book, 
It's freedom, freedom from the law. Now, what does that mean, freedom from the law? That sounds strange. That sounds radical. That sounds revolutionary. It's because it is. The grace that you receive by putting trust in Jesus Christ and giving your life to him is strange. It's radical. It's otherworldly. It's revolutionary. But what exactly does that mean, freed from the law? What does it mean that you're free from the law? As the Bible uh, says, you're no longer under the law. So in Romans chapter 6, it says, you are not under the law, but under grace. What does that mean, you're not under the law? What does it mean to be freed from the law? Well, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ... Being freed from the law means you are no longer under the obligation to obey the law in order to have a relationship with God and have eternal life. Uh, that's in order to have eternal life, in order to be accepted by God, it's, there's, you're not obligated to obey the law in the way that the Bible says you are required to obey it. Why? Because Jesus Christ obeyed all the law for you. Why? Because it was impossible to do yourself. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, he said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. But to fulfill them. And, and God requires perfection. If you don't believe that, Matthew 5.48 says it. Jesus himself says it. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect, Jesus said, but Jesus was perfect for you. He was perfect on your behalf. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, Jesus Christ was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Now what does all this mean? It means that when a person wants to get right with God, and there's not a single person in the world who comes out of their mother's womb who somehow is just right with God. It's because everyone is a sinner, the Bible says. We've inherited that from our fathers. We've inherited that from Adam and Eve. It means that when, when, when someone realizes, wow, I'm a sinner, Sin means breaking God's law. I've broken his law. And he's God. i got to make myself right with him. They don't do it by trying as hard as they can to try to obey the law because that's never going to happen. Rather, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. So this is why Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says... Says it three times. And by the way, this is the ERV. You know what that means? The easy to read version. I, I, I highly recommend it to, to add to whatever translation you read. It's a good translation I have found. But this is right from Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. And three times in one verse. It says, but we know that no one is made right with God by following the law. Do you guys realize that? Have you, got, have you let that sink in? You can't be made right with God by obeying the law. You're going to fall way too short. Then it says, it is trusting in Jesus Christ that makes a person right with God. And we are right with him because we trusted in Christ not because we followed the law. I can say this because no one can be made right with God by following the law. So three times it says, you cannot be made right with God by following the law. 
Now, why was the book of Galatians written? We've talked about that because Paul had come in, he formed a church, he left to start another church, and, and then some folks came in and tried to put them back under the law, telling them in order to be made right with God, you need to follow the law. Yes, it's true that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for you. But you also have to follow the law. And Paul, so Paul writes this letter in response. And again, what's his theme? You're free from all that. You're free from the law. You are free. And that's what grace is is that word mentioned uh, throughout this letter. Grace means rest. Grace means peace. Grace means joy. Grace is strange. The world knows nothing of grace. Grace is radical. Grace is revolutionary. And let me tell you, and we're going to talk about that, it's really, really risky. Grace, preaching grace, is risky. Why? Because inevitably, someone will say, no, many will say, well, if I'm freed from the law, that means I can disobey the law. I'm speaking now of the moral law, by the way. If I'm freed from the law, that means I can disobey it. Grace will cover it. Oh, it's covered by grace. And the apostle Paul responds to that He responds to it in the verse that we started today. But first, um, I want to bring up this verse from Romans. It says, what then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Certainly not, he says. And, and, but then he also, in the same vein, in verse 7 of chapter 6, where we started this morning. Let's read it again together. Um, Chapter 7, verse, rather, chapter 6, verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so again it begins, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever man sows he will reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will reap everlasting life. Let's let's talk about the law for a, a minute. When God gave us the law, when he gave us the law, when he gave Moses the law, he gave us something that was profoundly beautiful. He showed us something of the staggering beauty of his heart. The law is an expression of who the Lord is. God gave you the law because he loves you and wants you to love him. The Bible speaks of worshiping God in the beauty of his holiness. That's a verse uh, among other places, Psalm 29.2. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Part of his holiness is he He created the law. He's in perfect obedience of the law. He is the law. God didn't save you in order to disobey the law. He saved you in order to, among other things, empower you to obey the law. To bring beauty into your life. Before I walked with God before I really gave my life to the Lord and and began walking consistently with the Lord. I was 24 years old when that happened. But before that time, I thought nothing of lying. Lying just was a part of who I was. I was a liar. I thought nothing of doing it. Whether it was to my parents, to my brothers, my friends, whoever. 
I was a liar. I thought nothing of cheating, and I cheated quite a bit. Cheated in high school. I cheated in college. I thought nothing of stealing. It was like a game. But Calvary Chapel, lying, cheating, and stealing made me ugly. It makes you ugly when you lie. It makes you ugly when you cheat. It makes you ugly when you steal. When I became born again, Jesus says you need to be born a second time by the Spirit. When I became born again, I went, well, I stopped lying, stopped cheating, stopped stealing. I went from being ugly to being beautiful in that way, telling the truth being honest, not stealing, but giving. But Pastor Steve, I thought you said I was freed from the law. That is correct. In the sense that you have been freed from having to try to obey the law good enough to earn a relationship with God. Everyone follow that? I only heard one, yep. You've been freed from the law in the sense you've been freed from having to try to obey the law good enough in order to earn a relationship with God. That's true. But being freed from the law never means being free from having to follow the law because the law makes you beautiful, folks, following it. The Bible says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. It restores the, 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 the soul. It, it never, it, being freed from the law never means uh, being free from having to follow the law because not follow, following the law actually is rejecting God. I like this verse in 1 Samuel written about a guy or told to a guy who just thought that God was so good and loving he could just disobey whatever God said. And this is uh, Samuel talking to Saul. He said for rebellion. Rebellion is what? It's, it's what? It's disobedience. For rebellion... Disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft. Next time you're thinking about saying, disobeying something in the word of God, think witchcraft. And stubbornness, and in the sense, this means stubbornness in the sense, I'm just gonna do it my way, not God's way, is as iniquity and idolatry. Idolatry is replacing God with anything else. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. When you are disobeying the law, you're rejecting God, the Bible says. There's one other thing. It's actually even worse. The Bible says that when you disobey the law of God, lying, cheating, stealing, or whatever else is there, it also, there's the, the greatest laws, love the Lord your God and with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But when you disobey God, you're mocking God. Everyone know what mocking God means? You are mocking him. The Bible also says you're tempting him. You're tempting God. Tempting, te what does that mean, tempting God? Anyone know? What does that mean to tempt God? It means you're tempting him not to, you're, you're tempting him to, to chasten you, to smush you, to, 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 to bruise you up in a good way in order to teach you a lesson. You're mocking God, the Bible says. Again, um, verse seven, back in Galatians chapter six, verse seven, don't be deceived. 
God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Let's, so let's break down this, this verse. It starts off, don't be deceived. So hear me, Calvary Chapel, here, here, here. Sin is seductive. Sin is deceitful. Hebrews 3.13 says sin is as the heart becomes hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. To get its way, sin will lie to you. Sin will say, you're under grace now. You're not under the law. Grace will cover that sin. That's pure deception. Sin will say, Jesus did all the work for you. So it's not a problem. It's not a problem for you to sin. Sin will say, look, You've been doing this sin on a regular basis. Nothing is happening to you. God must be okay with it. Sin deceives. It says, do not be deceived. That's what the verse says. God is not much. Sin will say, other Christians do this sin even in the church, even at Calvary Chapel in the city. They're okay. Sin will lie to you like that. Again, do not be deceived, verse 7. God is not mocked. Again, God is not mocked. What does that mean? Just taking God for a fool. Do you think, you really think God, created the universe, uh, is going to let you rebel against him and rebel against his holiness and rebel against his love for you, his grace for you, his wisdom for you, and there's just not going to be any consequences? The answer is that you're just mocking him. The verse goes on to say what? Whatever a man sows, he will reap. Now he's using the analogy of sowing. And this isn't like sowing with a, with a thread. This is sowing seed, putting seed in soil. It means you sow wheat, you'll get wheat. If you sow figs, You'll get figs. If you sow poison ivy, I grew up with that stuff all around. I do not recommend sowing poison ivy. But if you do, you'll get poison ivy. It's not going to come up, uh, you know, uh, like the, the, the little mint leaves. That's not going to happen. If you sow weed seed, you will get weeds. It says, again, Whatever a man sows, he will reap. What does reap mean? Reap means just gather or get. Whatever seed that you sow, you will get whatever fruit or vegetable or plant that seed was for. You will get that back. You will harvest that. And then verse 8 goes on. It says, for he who sows to his flesh will reap corruption. And so we talked at length what that means, the flesh. You are born with a flesh, a flesh that cries out for things that will destroy you. And it's defined in verse 19 of Galatians 5. Verse 19 of Galatians 5 says, the works of the flesh are evident, which are Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness, and revelries, and the like. And so when it says, he who sows to his flesh of the flesh will reap corruption, corruption for example it says a work of the flesh is fornication which means sex outside of marriage if you engage in fornication sex outside of marriage it says you will reap corruption the word in the greek the underlying word means death meaning you're working death into your relationship you're working death into your health you're working death into your peace you're working death into your joy you just work in death or take another one of the works of the flesh. Verse 20 says sorcery. The underlying word is pharmacia. We talked about that. 
the underlying word in Greek is drugs. If you're taking drugs, verse 8 says, you will of the flesh reap corruption, death. There'll be death in your relationships, death in your finances, death in your your peace, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Death in your marriage. Death in your parenting. Death in your uh, being a son, being a daughter. Verse 20 says, another work of the flesh is selfish ambition. Just think of a career-minded person who's pushing out everyone out of the way so they can be CEO someday. They are sowing to the flesh and they will reap death. They will reap, reap death in, again, their relationships, their family, their peace, their joy. They are just going to reap death um, is what the Bible says. And so then it goes on to say in verse eight, but thank, thank the Lord for the, that little word, that th- little three-letter word, B-U-T. There's so many good things that come after that in the Bible. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap eternal life. And so we talked about just as we talked about the works of the flesh, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22 of chapter 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What does it mean to sow to the Spirit? You sow love into people's lives. You know what love means? It's the opposite of, of selfishness. It means dying. <laughs> That's what love means. You die to yourself in order to bless someone. That's what the word means. Or, or, or the next uh, fruit of the Spirit is called joy. You're, you're, you're sowing your joy um, into someone else's life. You are sowing it. How do you get joy, by the way? By going deeper and deeper with God. You will find joy. By seeking the Lord, you will find joy. And, and, and sowing um, in the Spirit's part of sowing joy, sowing peace, sowing long suffering. And you guys know what that means. Um, you moms know we have some brand new moms uh, in the church. Uh, I tell you, that baby cries all night. You're suffering. Long. That's long suffering. And, and, and so right, you're sowing to the Spirit and, 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 and blessing that child because that's what you do when you sow to the Spirit. You don't just put earplugs on or the noise canceling on and sleep all night. Sowing to the Spirit, it says, reaps eternal life. And, and, and then uh, just one more there is Sowing self-control. Now, this is not an easy one. It's never been easy for me. Sowing self-control. Just by the Spirit. Biting your tongue. Or not going to that place where you know if you go there, there's going to be trouble. Sowing to the Spirit. It says, and those who sow to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now, I want to say this, just put a little pause on and say this. A Christian is by definition a person who has the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Not everyone has the Holy Spirit. Only followers of Jesus Christ do. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, after you believe in Jesus Christ and put your trust in him, as your king, as, as your life. Right then, the Holy Spirit invades you, takes possession of you, and never leaves, the Bible says. And so a man or woman who has the Holy Spirit, this is what they do. This is what you do. You sow to the Spirit, the Bible says. So when verse 8 says, 
And there's something else I want you, um, I, I, I don't want you to miss about verse eight. When it says, he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap death, because that's what corruption means, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. That's not just talking about you. That's talking about people you have contact with in your life. If you sow to the flesh, again, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, you will find over time that you reap death. You are reaping death, and the Bible says on the judgment day, you will be, all of this is gonna come before your eyes. The book of Romans says that on the judgment day, those who did not trust in the Lord, those who did not seek peace, they didn't trust, it will be a time of judgment and agony for them and everything that you reaped by sowing to the flesh is gonna come back in your face. You, 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 when, you, when you sow to the flesh, there will be consequences in this life, not only for you, but there will be death in this life for others. In other words, it's not only gonna be death in your relationships, death in, but death in their relationships as well. It's not only gonna be death of your peace, but death, death in their peace as well. As well. But, but there's something else. If you've been mocking God and you are just sowing to the flesh, you're gonna reap hell and damnation and so will others as a result of you sowing into their life, the flesh, the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. That's what this verse says, actually. Um, and, and so don't miss that. So it says, he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Let's continue on. It says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of God. So let me share with you one way that you can so did the flesh and reap corruption. I want to talk about one way, Calvary Chapel, and this is a big time warning to you. One way that you can sow to the flesh and reap death in your lives and in the lives of others. It's, it's by saying, I don't follow the law. I'm not required to. Jesus followed all the law for me. Grace covers my sin. And therefore, I don't have to do good. I don't have to go around obsessing about being good every day. I don't have to find a, a, a good work that I do and, and follow. I don't get to have to get all worked up about that. I can just rest in the grace of God. If that's your mentality, you are sowing to the flesh and you will reap death. Not only in your life, but the lives of others. And we can understand why it is that, somewhat, that it's easy, really for our own flesh, for ourselves to twist what the word of God says and, and, and go into that false kind of rest. The Bible says, we, we already talked about this verse, but it says in Galatians 2.16, again, we, we talked about this. We know that no one is made right with God by following the law. Who? wow. Really? It is trusting in Jesus Christ that makes a person right with God. And then it just says it again. And we are right with him because we trusted in Christ, not because we followed the law. 
And I can say this because no one can be made with God by following the law. So here's, it, this verse could just as well say this. It could just as well say this. We know that no one is made right with God by doing good works. And that's a fact. That is true. You cannot be made right with God by doing good works. It is trusting in Jesus Christ that makes a person right with God. And we are right with God because we trust in Christ, not because we do good works. And I can say this because no one can be right with God through good works. And that is true. The Bible does say that. However, as we've already discussed, just because we're not made right with God by doing good works doesn't mean that once we are made right with God, we never do good works again. I mean, this is a prevalent kind of uh, view that is in the church today. You know, good works, that's like the social gospel. I just believe in Jesus Christ. In fact, doing good works that God has, God has actually prepared you that once you get right with him, he has prepared very specific good works for you to do. And that is the very purpose of your life. Ephesians chapter 2 8 through 10, many of you are familiar with this. By grace, you have been saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of good works, lest anyone should boast. No one's ever going to get to heaven and say, I'm here because of all those good works that I did. You'll never hear that in heaven. You're, all the focus will be on God. None on a man. But then it says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created in Christ Jesus for a good work. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were saved for good works, Calvary Chapel. Turn with me to the book of Titus. The book of Titus, my wife must be really happy because the women just spent the last year studying the book of Titus. So, if you are having a hard time, the Titus is to your right, it's a small book, it's written by the same person, Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians. It's to the right. I'm going to be starting in chapter 2, and if you didn't believe or need help convincing of what I've said up to this point, I think this will do the job. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, likewise exhort, meaning talk to the young men to be sober-minded in all things, and in all things showing yourselves to be a pattern of good works. Now go to verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Who might that be? Someone shout it out louder. Who is, who's that talking about? The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Who, who's that talking about? Jesus Christ. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. So he not only obeyed all the law, he also died for us on the cross because we deserve death. That's the penalty for our sin. He died for us. He gave himself for us. And now read carefully with me. So that, it's about to tell you the purpose of your life. 
when you see so that or that. He might redeem us from every lawless deed, lying, cheating, and stealing, Steve Cole, and purify for himself his own special people. Everyone say the next four words at the same time. Ready? One, two, three. So that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Not like, oh, by the grace of God, I'm saved. I can now rest in grace. I'm just going to go hang out at a pool, have a cocktail with an olive at the end of a toothpick hanging out of it, and play cards with my friends at five every day for the rest of my life. That's not what it says. It says that God saved you in order to be zealous for good works. And it doesn't stop there. Chapter three, verse four. But when the kindness and the love of our God towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, meaning we didn't get saved by good works, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Now go down to verse eight. Verse eight says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. Yeah, I want you to talk about this constantly. What? that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Did everyone hear that? And then in verse 14, as if we needed another reminder, and let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. You know, one of the wonderful things about being born again is you know the purpose for your life. It is to be zealous for good works, zealous for the Lord. The purpose of your life is to do a good work for God. And you say, well, what is that for me? I don't know. I wish I knew. You're going to have to ask God that. If you have the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit, go, ah, what is the good work for my life? You, you just heard from Nicole. She's been doing vacation Bible outreaches now for whatever, 10 years, as well as the bus ministry, going and picking up kids and bringing them to church. That's a good work. Next week, Sunday, you're going to hear from Pastor Eric, who for 12 years, uh, two or three times a week, has been working with youth prisoners in prison and out of prison, calling them, getting calls all the time. You, you meet with Eric, you just get used to getting him getting texts and calls all the time from the hundreds of kids he's worked. You're going to hear about that next week. That is a good work for him. Not tomorrow, but next Monday, there's a mission trip to Kensington to go to Philadelphia to work with drug addicts. That's a, that's a good work, and we're doing it for the purpose of seeing, can we start something like that here? That's a good work. What about being a parent? That's a wonderful work for God. If and only if. You are training your kids up to be zealous for good works. And parents, you can't train them to be zealous for good works unless you are zealous for good works. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Jesus Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every law Every, that he, may, he might redeem us, meaning save, save us from every lawless deed, all that lying, cheating, and stealing, all redeemed, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. I gotta tell you, I don't know what it is for you, but it has something to do with investing in at least one person. I tell you, you take one person and you disciple them, by the way, the Bible did say 
all of us are supposed to be discipling at least one person. That includes you. And you just show them about the Bible, teach them about who, what the grace of God is, which is strange, it's radical, it's revolutionary, and teach them how the grace came about and how to walk in grace. That's a good work. And you've been saved, the Bible says, for the purpose of that good work. If we didn't learn that from the book of Titus, I don't, I don't know um, how anyone is going to be able to learn that. So we, um, can we go back to John to 1 uh, Corinthians 15.10? So actually bring that down. Bring that down. Before we bring that up, I just want to say this. The crazy madness about this whole thing of using grace to be lazy is the Bible says that grace, if it's real, has precisely the opposite effect. It motivates you to do great things for God. God has, has redeemed you. He has given you new birth to do great things. Now, I'm not talking about things that make you famous. I'm talking about great things in the kingdom of God. Discipling one single person is a great thing. Um, But the crazy thing, it's the very opposite. Grace motivates you to do great things. And the people who are most motivated get just how much sin and the depth of their sin and depravity that Jesus Christ died for. And they see the connection between their own sin and that bloody son of God on the cross who created the whole universe. The Bible says that he created the whole universe. And then he went from there to come and have his back opened up by a whip and three iron stakes driven through his body for your sin. It's people who actually get that. It goes from their head to their heart that they're like bananas for good works, not zealous for good works, like they're crazy for good works. Take the Apostle Paul. He was a murderer. Most of us do only murdering in our heart, but he actually did murder people. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And and by the way, when he says that, he's not saying I am this this poor guy that is, you know, I just can't help barely get through life and I don't have the power to do anything. No, this guy is saying this in a book where he also, also just talks about in the face of just incredible suffering, just going from place to place to place, planting churches and teaching people about the grace of God. He says, by the grace of God, all these great things have happened. That's what this means. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And so the effect of grace, the effect of knowing that I can't follow the law, but Jesus followed the law for me, and not only that, he died for me, and, and the effect of actually that going from your head to your heart will make you zealous for good works if you cannot say in your heart that you're zealous for, to do a good work for God, it's okay. Confess it to him and say, God, change me. Please change me. I don't want to be this selfish, lazy, good-for-nothing Christian. I don't want to be one of those. I want to be zealous for good works. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to, uh, to come up at this time. And if you've been asked to pray, please come up. Remember our last two verses in Galatians 6, to let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap 
if we do not lose heart. And so um, none of what I said means, by the way, that you're going to be like the Energizer bunny and just never grow weary, never get discouraged, never get tired, never get... None of it means that. It's that, that's why Paul makes this exhortation here. He, he says, let us not grow weary while doing good, meaning you got to go to the well. You got to go to the well. And who is the well? It is Jesus Christ himself. You got to get with Jesus Christ. We had um, on Wednesday night how to have a devotion. Part of have a de- having a devotion is getting alone somewhere with God and say, I need you. I'm not jealous for good works. Please fill me with grace so that I can not grow weary and continue this thing that I'm doing. And then Um, It goes on with this, and this is a promise, because in due season, you will reap if you do not lose heart, meaning don't quit. Don't quit. You You may be losing on a harvest. Don't quit. In due season, you shall reap. You shall gather the fruit if you do not lose heart. So why don't we stand at this time? And if anything that I've said has stirred in your heart, if anything that I've said has stirred in your heart, and you would like someone to pray for you, maybe you have been using grace, the grace in Christ Jesus as a license for laziness. Or maybe you are just so grateful because you do get it. You get what Jesus Christ has done for you and you just want someone to praise God with. Come up. Or if you have never in your life opened up your heart and said, I am done for living for me. I'm done being basically my own God. Jesus Christ, I want you to be my God. Come up. We can, that's a prayer of faith. After which, by the way, the Holy Spirit will immediately occupy your life and he will never leave. That's a promise for all eternity. If you'd like prayer for that or anything else, you can come up. Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for speaking to me personally. Thank you for just encouraging me personally in this word. And I just pray, Father, as we end worshiping you, because you have filled us with purpose, Lord. You've redeemed us from every lawless deed, and you have filled our life with a wonderful purpose. Just we thank you, Lord. Continue this work. Close out the service in Jesus' name.